love. And I thought this morning I would talk about God's love. And I have a message entitled, For the Love of God. Now, you, you hear people say this. How many of you have heard your mum say this? Look, for the love of God, would you, you know. They don't know anything about the love of God. So I thought if we're going to say it, we should know something about God's love. Is that right? So 1 John 4. Let me read it out to you and then we'll see what the Lord is saying this morning. 1 John 4 verse 7. <coughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God before. Before. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your scriptures this morning, I pray that you'll speak to us on the incredible, amazing, omnipotent love of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember reading a Charlie Brown comic, uh, uh, comic and Charlie Brown said, he said, I love everybody in the world. It's just people I can't stand. And, and some people are like that. We say we love people, but we don't actually enact that. And I met a guy once who proudly told me, I don't believe in God. I said, really? Can you describe this God you don't believe in? He said, yes. He's vengeful, malicious, and unfair. He sends people to hell because he's too harsh, and he allows wars, hatred, pain, and that sort of stuff because he doesn't care. And I replied to him, I don't believe in that God either. My God is a God of love, not that guy. I don't know where he gets that from. But that's what he thinks. So let's not confuse love with legalism. Let's not confuse religion with relationship. Don't blame God for man's sinful and hateful actions. The Bible describes God simply like this. It says God is love. So what is God's love and how can you describe it? How can you prove it? Very hard thing to prove. How do you measure love? You know, we used to say, I love you, you know, to the moon and back and all that sort of stuff. Who said that? Come on, who's ever said that? You romantic Jew. Um, <coughs> how do you measure love? How do you describe a rose to a blind person? How do you describe a symphony to a deaf person? How can you describe the infinite, fathomless, all-powerful love of an om omnipotent God to a finite, limited human being? If God is love, why can't we just do whatever we want to and he'll still love us? We humans know something of love, but it's limited. You might say, well, I, you know, I know a bit about love. I, I guess everybody knows love. We certainly all crave love. But is your love like God's love? Is your love infinite or is it fickle? Does, does the amount that you love someone change if they hurt you or let you down or betray you? There's an interesting question. Does your love give someone else a license to do whatever they want or to abuse your love however they see fit? Or does your love have standards of what is right and wrong? Does your love ebb and flow, changing every minute, depending on how you feel? Or is your love strong and dependable? See, we say, we say I love you. Or, you know, we say to someone, I love you. But sometimes you don't feel like it. How many of you know that? Some of you are nodding. Some of you don't know that. I heard about an old, older couple, a man and a woman. 
They're in marriage counselling. The counsellor says, what's the problem? The woman says, he never tells me he loves me. And the man said, look, I married her 30 years ago. I told her then that should be enough. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. You know, it's not enough, guys. How many of you know that ladies like to be told they're loved? Guys, if you haven't figured that out, here's a tip. Tell them you love them. <clears throat> it's important. We don't, like, sometimes we're too tough to sort of, you know, we're like Fonzie saying sorry. You remember Fonzie? And he can't get the words out. But every one of us needs to know that we are love. Is your love strong and dependable? <clears throat> or does it change all the time? So I wanted this morning to look at what God's love was. Because we talk about God's love. What is it? What's it look like? What are its characteristics? So what is God's love like? I've got nine different aspects of God's love I want to look at. How can we describe to mere mortals what God's love is like? Well, number one, God's love is for everyone. The first question I was asked, who does God love? And the answer is everyone. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God loves everyone. He loves sinners. Put your hand up if you're a sinner. We're all sinners. God loves all sinners. He loves all people. He loves his people, the Jews. He also loves Palestinians and Greeks. He even loves Australians. I think even Americans sneak in. He loves us all. He loves the old people as they draw near to the end of their lives. He loves young children, adolescents, mums and dads. He loves gay people and straight people. He loves those who are transgender. He loves those who don't know what gender they are. He loves those who identify as cats, dogs, fences and tables. He loves the rich and the poor, the sick and the well, those who are hurt and abused, and yes, even those who abuse others. He loves good people and bad people. No one is beyond the scope of God's love. 1 John 4, 16 says that God is love. And that's what it means. He loves everyone. Now, it doesn't say that, that, that he loves you if you're good enough. He will love you no matter what. It says God is love. To say God is love does not imply that love is God. If I say my dog is a girl, it's not the same as saying my girl is a dog, right? So when I say God is love, it doesn't mean all love is God because people who don't know God can still love. But I tell you, when you compare it with the love of God, it's going to pale into insignificance because he is love and he loves us all. So does that mean everyone goes to heaven regardless of the life we lead? No, and we'll get to that in a minute. But his love is offered to us all. Many refuse to take it. Many ignore it. Many say, I want to do my own thing. The second thing about God's love is it is selective. God loves everybody, but not everyone is treated the same way. And in fairness, not everyone responds to God the same way. God's love is there for everyone, but not everyone accepts his free gift. If you think about it, if you've got two kids and one stays close to you and, and, and you fellowship all the time and that sort of stuff. And the other one goes off and, and rebels and does their own thing and disappears and won't talk to you and all that sort of stuff. You're just naturally closer to one, but you love them both, don't you? You don't, you don't love them any less, but you're not close to them. They don't get the benefit of your fellowship because they're out there doing their own thing. Romans 9.14 says, What shall we say? 
Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I want to have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So you can say, well, it's not fair that some people go to hell, God. That's not fair. But turn it around and look at what it really is. Every one of us deserves to go to hell, but God chooses some to save us. So instead of saying, why don't you save everybody? Everybody doesn't want it. But to those who do want it, he will save them from hell. The third thing is that God's love is eternal. Psalm 103 says this. For a man, his days are like, a, like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and in its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. What God is saying is mankind comes and goes. Mankind's love is fickle. It disappears in a moment. Do the wrong thing, you lose the love. That's how mankind's love is. But God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. In the Hebrew, the word is olam, which means time eternal, indefinite, beyond definition. (coughs) It actually comes from a word meaning a vanishing point, something so far out there you can't see it. It's infinite, it's unfathomable, it is eternal. Have you ever watched a car drive away and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and then it becomes a dot and then you can't see it? That's how big God's love is. Beyond anything we can comprehend or compare, it is out there. The fourth thing is that God's love is unconditional. Most love we experience as people is is conditional love. So if we meet a criterion, we are loved. Some of you would have experienced this growing up. If you get A's, then you're loved. If you fail a, a, a subject, you're not loved anymore. If you behave well, you're loved. If you misbehave, you're not loved anymore. And, and as parents, how many, of, do you relate to that? Did you, some of you experience that? And so what do you do? You test that, don't you? You, you bend it and see just how far the love goes. And, and you hope you don't break stuff, but you sort of bend it. I used to do, I still do that, I think, all the time. It's called stirring, but I don't believe in that stuff. It's just bending a little. And uh, when I first started dating Fiona, I used to go to her house and I thought, I'm going to just stir her mum up a little bit because that's what you do. And, um, and so I would pile things up in the toilet. So, so I'd go to the toilet and I'd come out and all of the stuff, all the cans and everything else, hair, hair ship, it was, would be piled up on the bench. And she used to go, Darren, she'd get really cranky. I thought, this is so much fun. So I... I my, this was my, my, my best effort. I put a ruler across the open toilet and then piled it up on the ruler. And so when she went to pull something out, it all fell in the toilet bowl. <laughs> See, we test the limits, don't we, all the time. But God's love is unconditional. Even if you finish up in the toilet bowl of life, he still loves you. Titus 3 verse 4 says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, God loves us not because of what we do, but because of who we are. When we accept Him, we become a child of God. We're created in His image. 
and you can't sin enough that God will stop loving you. But there's always consequences to sin. There's only one sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're not even sure what it is. But every other sin is forgivable, but there's always consequences. If you reject Jesus and you reject his love and all the benefits of that love, then you are choosing a path and there are consequences to that path. If you accept Jesus, all of God's love is yours. The fifth thing is God's love is beneficial. Psalm 103 again says this, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with goods so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. See, God's love is beneficial. And there are so many benefits. Just look at these verses. God loves, and you see it up here on the, on, the, on the back here. God loves and removes our sin and restores our relationship with him. Verse 3. He heals us both physically and emotionally. He redeems us, which means he buys us back from the pit of death. He crowns us with love and mercy. He gives us authority over things of darkness. He satisfies us. And boy, we need to think about this one. Self-centered generation needs to hear this. He satisfies us. He renews our youth even as we get older. Who would like some renewed youth? Some of us are getting older. I think we're all getting older. Some of us can jump out of planes over there, you guys, but, uh, but not this, this little black duck. We don't jump out of planes. But I tell you what, the, as you get older, everything hurts. And if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. So it's hard getting older, isn't it? But he can renew our youth like the eagles. Now, here's the curly one. God's love is pure and holy. Psalm 103 verse 6 said, The Lord works justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. Now, importantly, his love is judicial. It's right. It's just. It's righteous. This is what sets God's love apart from the so-called love that the world peddles. Psalm 33 verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that holiness and righteousness and justice are mixed with love in the same verse? What's it saying? God's pure love doesn't allow us to do what we want. We have this idea. The world says, if you love me, you've got to approve what I do and, and, and you've got to you know, tell me it's okay and love and accept me anyway. It's not true. You can love someone and not approve of what they do. Who's a parent? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Do you approve of everything your child does? But do you love them any less? No, you still love them. But you don't have to approve of everything that they do, especially if what they're doing is going to lead to a disaster. See, God doesn't, doesn't say, come to me, I'll cover up your sin. He says, I'll cover it over with the blood of Jesus. He solves the problem. Every decision you make, every action you take, sounds like a song, doesn't it? Every word you make. Every decision you make has consequences. Sin has bad consequences. You cannot choose the sin. Sorry, you can choose the sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. They choose you. That's how it works. You need to stop blaming God for what happens when you've made all the bad decisions, not Him. 
He loves you and plans the best for you. But if you disobey him, there are consequences. And I love the way that that we as human beings, we make bad decisions and then we blame God when it all goes pear-shaped when he didn't even decide. We did. Am I right? I was thinking, I don't mean to embarrass you, Ross, but Ross had a fall during the week on his head. He was just telling me it's the hardest part of his body (laughs) and uh, he bounced a little bit. But was that God's fault? (laughs) He was trying to get closer to God climbing a ladder, but someone made the decision to climb the ladder. (laughs) You see, there are consequences to what we do. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ today, you're heading towards hell. That's what the Bible... I didn't say the Bible says that. He, He doesn't not love you. But if you choose against him, you have to bear the consequences of your decision. You can choose the sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of the sin. They choose you. So God clearly shows us what sin is in his word. The fact that society comes along and and, and calls it an alternative lifestyle doesn't negate the fact that there is consequences to the sin. You can call it what you like. I mean, I believe that marijuana is a destructive drug. I believe that, that, that taking marijuana is not a great decision. Now, I don't care if they legalize it or if they call it medicinal, I still think it's a poor decision. Now, if you need it for medicinal purposes, that's something different. But to go and try and take it recreationally, I think it's a bad choice, don't you? But they call it medicinal, right? And suddenly it's all okay. You see, mankind's standards change all the time, but God's standards stay the same, as does his love for you. But there are still consequences to what you do. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from, from his flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, so don't mistake God's love as a license to sin, however you want or however you choose. God's love is not weak and easily manipulated to your own ends. God's love is holy and pure. We sang it this morning, holy, holy, holy. And if you come to him today, he will make your life holy and pure too. He will set you free from sin and its consequences. And he will guide you into a productive life beyond anything you have imagined. We live in a world that says, if God loves me, he ought to love me and I can do whatever I like. It's not true, folks. It's not true. He has standards. But the standards are for our good, not for our detriment. The seventh thing is God's love is all-consuming. It touches every part of our lives. There's no pain, no circumstance, no status, no situation that God's love does not touch. And some of you here in this room are running from God. You've come in contact with God a few times. You say, oh, no, no, I'll just push that to the side. I don't want to do that. But, you know, God is running after you and he's got your number. He's going to give you a call real soon because, see, God loves you and he will pursue you. And I want to urge you, stop running from God. If you're running from God now, if you're ignoring him, if you're trying to get on with you, oh, I don't want that stuff. Maybe I'll get to that later. I just, I don't want to be a Christian now. I just want to do this stuff. And I, listen, you're turning your back on the best part of life. I, beca- I became a Christian when I was uh, uh, in my late teens. 
and it changed my life forever and for good. And we had a, uh, a, a school, I was going to call it resurrection, what's it called? A school reunion, thank you. <laughs> I think resurrection would probably have worked better. <laughs> the state that we were in. We had a school reunion, like 40 years down the track. And so you can see all the people who thought they had it all together back then, you can see how it panned out for them. But I've got to tell you, coming to Christ turned my life around. And when I meet with my friends from back then, they're saying, wow, look at all the amazing things happening in your life. Yes, because I love him. And he's led and guided my life. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven... You are there. If, my, if I make my bed in the death, in, in death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. See, today, folks, I urge you, stop running from God. Stop playing around with God. Go full on for Him because He loves you and He, has, he wants the best for you. I heard about a little girl who was lost in a shopping mall And she panicked as she looked for her mum. But all she saw was people, noise and confusion. This is what I'm like in Sunshine Plaza. Just (laughs) hate it. All she saw was was people and noise and and she was crying. But then her mum saw her and picked her up and she stopped crying and she calmed down. Why? Had her surroundings changed? No. It's because she was held in the arms of someone she loved and trusted. Whatever you face in life, I'm telling you, the arms of God are here for you today, loving you, pursuing you. So yield your heart to him today. You do not need to fear the future. See, I'm not afraid of what the future holds because I know who holds the future. It's Jesus Christ, and he loves me. And he's wrapped wrapped his arms around me, and he cares for me. And that makes all the difference. Like that little girl in the shopping center. Someone needs to hear that today. That God is reaching out to you to gather you up. These little babies are up here and people are holding them in their arms. Because it's a safe place. The eighth thing is that God's love is personal. The Bible clearly teaches that God is not a force or an energy. And God is not the universe. He's a real person capable of loving and being loved. Your rejection of him causes pain. Your sin breaks his heart and his decision to love you anyway is genuine. See, God's love is not a neutral force. He's very much in your corner. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you for your welfare and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. If you just trust Jesus Christ now, his plan is for you to have an awesome life. He's not here to rain on your parade. He's not here to to stop you doing fun stuff. I have more fun as a Christian than I ever did before. And what's more, I can remember most of it. God sees you as someone who is worthwhile, someone of value, someone who's precious. He doesn't see the mass of people. He sees every one of you individually. And he wants the best for every one of you. So don't throw your problems out to the future, uh, for the future. Don't throw them out into the universe and hope, hope it works out. Take them to the one who created and controls the universe and trust him to work it out for you. I'm so amused by people saying, well, I'll just ask the universe that. What's the universe going to say? Nothing. 
Trust the one who created the universe. Number nine, God's love is beyond comprehension. Psalm 103 verse 11, As high as the heavens is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. I cannot fathom the love of God. God knows me, my faults, my sin, my rebellious heart, but still he loves me. I am a sinner, yet he forgives me. I am diseased, yet he heals me. I am a pit, and yet he lifts me out. I am ungrateful for his wonderful gifts in my life, yet he continues to give them to me, even though I don't have enough gratitude. And he gives me an eternity in heaven instead of hell because he loves me. I cannot fathom such love. I heard a story of a little Vietnamese orphan girl who was injured during the Vietnam War. And the doctors believed that she would die without a blood transfusion. And the only people whose blood type matched hers were, were a few of her orphan friends. And so there was no one there who really spoke Vietnamese. So in broken Vietnamese and a little bit of French, the doctor asked if any of her friends would give blood to save this little girl's life. And, and after a long silence, one small orphan boy sort of raised his hand very hesitantly. So they grabbed him. They put him on the table, they put a, a needle in, in, into his vein to extract the blood and he began to cry and he screwed up his eyes tightly and sobbed and the nurses were confused at this point. What's going on? Why is he crying so much? It didn't hurt that much. Um, and at this point a translator arrived and began to talk to the boy until he calmed down and the doctor said, what was that about? And the reply came that there'd been a misunderstanding. The boy thought that he would have to give all of his blood to save his friend and so he thought about it a long time because he thought he would have to die to save his friend when they explained to him he didn't have to die he was very relieved but the doctor said to him what if, if you thought you were going to die to save your your little friends like, like why did you say yes he said because she's my friend because she's my friend Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And if you want to see love, that's God's love. It's beyond anything you can imagine. And it's here for you today, this morning, right now. God's love is here in this room. Romans 8 says this, I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as I finish up, a few weeks ago our nation was asked to vote on whether we should have the voice. We had a referendum. So this morning we're going to have a referendum. The difference is we're not voting on a voice. You're hearing a voice. It's God saying to you, I love you. And it's a simple yes, no. Don't have to elect anybody. You don't have to describe a bunch of stuff. It's not a written essay. It's a yes, no vote. And unlike the voice, it's not just your opinion. Everybody had an opinion on the voice, one way or the other. This is not an opinion. Your entire eternity hangs on your decision. How will you respond today? Yes to God's love or no? It's a simple choice. Yes or no? You can delay it. It's still going to be a yes or no vote. The Beatles... And I saw Paul McCartney last week. Got to tell you, he's doing very well for 81. But the Beatles sang, all you need is love. And then they broke up. So they didn't think much about that, did they? 
What substitutes for love in mankind fades away to a dot when you compare it with God's infinite, incredible, amazing, omnipotent love. Let me finish with a story. A pastor got up to speak in his church one day. And before he spoke, he introduced an old man whom he described as a childhood friend and asked this old man to share a few words. So the old man stepped up to the pulpit, maybe something a little bit like this, and he began to speak. He said, A father and a son and a friend of the son were sailing off the Pacific Ocean when a storm hit the boat and capsized the boat, throwing all three into the ocean. One boy was thrown one direction, the other boy was thrown the opposite way. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had only seconds to make the most excruciating decision of his life. Which boy should he throw the line to to save them? The father knew his son was a Christian, and he also knew that his son's friend was not a Christian. The father made a decision. He yelled out, I love you, son, and he threw the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back into the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells and sadly his body was never recovered he perished the old man said this father knew his son would step into eternity with jesus but he could not bear the thought of his son son's friend stepping into an eternity without christ and going to hell so the father sacrificed his son to save the son's friend How great is the love of God, the old man said, that he should do the same for us. A heavenly father sacrificed his only begotten son so that we could be saved. Then he said this, I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you. Take hold of the lifeline that is held out to you this day that he's throwing out to you. With that, the old man sat down. And after the service, a couple of teenagers thanked him for his story, but they said they didn't believe it was true. No one, they reasoned, would sacrifice their own son to save a boy they didn't really know they said it's not realistic old man that that you would sacrifice that man would sacrifice his own son so that another boy would be saved it doesn't make sense the old man looked up at the boys and he said i'm sure it isn't i'm sure it isn't very realistic in your eyes but he said i'm standing here today to tell you that the story gives me a glimpse into what it must have been like for god to give up his son for me You see, said the old man, I was that father and your pastor was that son's friend we saved. God's love. How can you describe it? How can you sum it up? What can we say that will show you God's love in its true form? The best thing I've ever seen to describe God's love is a broken, bloodied man hanging on a cross. Jesus hanging on a cross. And you see, the nails did not hold him there. His love for you held him there. His incomprehensible, all-consuming love for you and for me. How much does God love you? This much, said Jesus, and he opened his arms and he died in your place. The final words were written in blood on a Roman cross. I love you. We have the worship team back up for us. Theologian Karl Barth, one of the most famous theologians in the world, a German guy. He was asked what the single greatest truth he had ever learned after a lifetime of study was. What's the single greatest biblical truth you've ever heard heard of after a lifetime of study? What is it, Professor Barth? And he said this, the single greatest truth I've ever learned 
is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the biggest thought. That's the biggest news. And I want you to hear that loud and clear today. That Jesus loves you. That he paid a price for you. That he cares for you. And that he wants the best for you. Would you bow your head? Some of you here have been running from God and I cannot finish this service without giving you the opportunity to respond to that incredible love I've talked about. He's not here to excuse your sin. He's here to cover it over with the blood of Jesus. He's here to forgive it forever, for all eternity. And He wants the best for you. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you've, been, if you've never made a decision for Christ, this is your moment. But if maybe you prayed a prayer in the past and you're not sure, this also is your moment. I want you to be sure that you are safe in the arms of the God who loves you. So I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to pray it with me. And together we're going to ask Jesus into your life for all eternity. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that I've turned away from you. But right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sin and come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving me and welcoming me into your family. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm just going to ask you to shoot your hand up wherever you are. Just stick it up nice and high just for a few seconds and put it down. This is your moment. Don't walk away. God's speaking to you. For the rest of us, sometimes we just get bogged down in life. So I want to pray for us too, that we will know again the love of God. So why don't you pray this prayer with me? If you love the Lord, sometimes you just get out of touch with it. Sometimes we need to just hear that God loves us, that Jesus loves us. Sometimes we sing sing this song as as little kids in Sunday school, but we lose it as we go through life. Life gets so complicated and difficult. And I believe God loves you. I believe He paid a price for you. And we need to rediscover that first love sometimes. So pray this with me, church. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and the times that I've forgotten your love for me. Lord, right now I open my heart to you. Fill me with your love and with your Holy Spirit that I might serve you forever. Let's stand together. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I want you where you are. Just close your eyes where you are. You don't need words up for this song. Most of you know Jesus loves you. I want you to close your eyes and spend some time in the love of God. Some of you, you know, sometimes we, we bring people forward for decisions. This is about you and God, where you are at right now. Just imagine a little bubble around you. You take some time out. Just pray. Just open your heart to Him and just worship Him. 
and let his love flow through your being. He loves you so much. Just spend some time fellowshipping with him. If you're at home, just spend some time fellowshipping with him. Just take a few moments. So we're just going to pray for a few seconds, then we're going to sing this song. Don't open your eyes and read words. Just 